What's up, everybody? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bar Nana. It is the business that I co-founded with my business partners, Cowie and Matt, in 2013. We make a bunch of delicious snacks for your body. We make plantain chips and banana bites and everything else. Everything is USDA certified organic with super simple ingredientes. And you can pick it up at barnana.com and use code NIK to get 20% off of your very first order. Or you can go into one of several thousand retailers in the United States, Japan, or Canada and pick them up in retailers like Whole Foods. On this episode of the show, my good buddy Hakobo is here. He is the founder of Catalog, which we will get into. And we talked about a whole bunch of interesting subjects. He and I tend to wax poetic about all kinds of things things relative to the state of humanity. So, please welcome my buddy, Jacobo Lumbrera. Jacobo Lumbrera! Welcome to the show, buddy. I'm so happy to have you on. I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> You like that extra Españoles intro? Good. That was very good. Yeah, I know you're uh, consistently impressed with uh, my uh, Spanish your, skills. Exactly. Your new <laughs> words every time. Yep. <laughs> so uh, before the podcast, you're about to tell me a story about your grandfather and, uh, and wine. We're having ourselves a glass of some indiscriminate alcohol-filled red juice right now. So my grandfather, who passed away... Two years ago, at 92, 93 years old, never had a surgery in his life. Get out of here. Literally was never hospital ridden or bedridden in his entire life. Till 92? 92. Whew. Until the, 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 the day that he passed away. So he used to drink, as, as for as long as I can remember, a bottle of red wine a day and smoke a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> Dude hit the lottery. And used to walk downstairs. He lived in this third floor apartment. We used to walk downstairs to this bar and would sit down. And some days when he drank a little too much, he would literally get up and start singing <laughs> in the bar. He, well, was a, he was a baritone. Really? In, and, like, in like a choir? And, and he, no, he did it on, uh, on stage when he was younger. Yeah. Not a choir, a single uh, singer. Um, and he did opera and he would literally, but that was in his sixties. So 30 years later, I don't think he remembered any of it. So he would just sit down and sing like a fraction of a song when he drank too much. That is awesome. Happiest man I've ever met. Lived until he was 93 years old. Damn. Never had an issue in his life. What, what song would he sing? Oh my God. You wouldn't know this. Um, back streets, back. All right. Not quite. Sounded <laughs> <laughs> more like Julio Iglesias. Yeah, that sounds, yeah, that's probably more realistic. <laughs> Imagine your 92-year-old grandpa is really into Britney Spears. Seriously. <laughs> he would be into Britney Spears, but not for the singing. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. He just starts fucking rapping some Lil Yachty or some shit. He used to, uh, he used to go after the, uh, the housekeeper all Ooh. the time. It was this Colombian lady. And he used to run around and, and chase her around and go like... <laughs> he just didn't care. Growl at her? Didn't care. Is that an effective strategy? Seriously. Must <clears throat> <laughs> be a <laughs> Spanish thing. Yeah. He did not care. It was fantastic. There was one time I was in downtown uh, San Diego in the Gaslamp District. 
and you know like gas lamps this fucking crazy shit show everybody's all fucked up doing things and I'm, I'm walking and the gas lamp you know it's like a regular city street it's it's decently wide and then this guy in front of me is all fucked up he starts barking he just goes hey hey girl hey and she's not looking at him right hey he's getting all frustrated he's like rawr, rawr, rawr. <laughs> he starts fucking barking like everybody turns around because i think there's like a rabid dog <laughs> just this dude barking it's just like how many times has that worked for you bro <laughs> exactly zero times that's what he wants the outcome to be yeah that's true <laughs> call Maybe. the police <laughs> <laughs> call the dog catcher i, I want to sleep on a cell today <laughs> Maybe maybe he was actually like really into dogs. Maybe did he did he have a dog? Conspiracy theory. You never know. Maybe you never know. I don't know. There was a dog in a past life. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) You know the longevity thing is weird because like your grandpa, mine mine is still alive, Mm -hmm. and that dude has been (sighs) eating billions of cigarettes a day his whole life. Never really had a health problem at all. That's insane. The fuck is going on with that gene pool? I, uh, I, I strongly believe that the, there's a, there's a inverse correlation between how much you give a shit about something and how long you're going to live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you literally don't give a shit about anything, and then you live a long life. I don't disagree with that. I swear to God. Well, stress is real. Absolutely. Cortisol is real. Yeah. Right? Like, and we know that shit ain't good for you. Well, it simulates real world situations, right? Of fight or flight or, you know, making your heart pump faster, increasing your blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's almost like, uh, like we're, we're genetically, you know, encoded to be running away from saber toothed tigers uh, every half an hour. Every half an hour yeah. and jumping up in trees and probably seeing your entire family get <laughs> ripped to death and eaten alive in front of you. Um, and now, like, the way that that manifests in, the, in, in 2019 is like, oh, I had a bad day at work because Cindy was talking shit. And then, you know, my <laughs> fucking phone wouldn't work and the traffic was bad. And <laughs> like, how fucking easy do we have it now? I think that's, that's one of the problems that our baseline for measuring what's difficult has completely changed, right? Like I was thinking about this the other day. If you ask half of the LA population to navigate the city and driving from a point A to point B, they wouldn't know how to do that without Google maps. <laughs> they literally would not know how to do that, which is mind boggling. And, and so I think it's getting to the point where, I mean, figuring out the streets of a city, figuring out what the best sort of, routes are in traffic actually develop something in your brain it's like problem solving yeah and suddenly we've completely eliminated that ability and so you know i remember when you and i grew up you had all of these different you know activities you would do outside and you know you go treasure hunting whatever it was and it it felt like solving problems constantly and you use your hands and use your brain and you sort of run around and interact with other people and right now, the substitute for that is, you know, a mind game in your phone. And so it's, it's a little concerning. Yeah, now it's Snapchat. Now it's Snapchat. Now it's like, hmm. So what's like, what, what part of your brain is that developing? Snapchat? It's, it's developing the... <laughs> it's, part, it's developing that, that part. 
Whatever part that is, I still understand. That's how that's how every teenager's brain works. I think so. <laughs> and like, you know, I grew up with MySpace, right? But yeah. dude, to get on MySpace, barely, barely. Well, nah, yeah, yeah, barely. You that's have, true. You have six K modems. Yeah, like. <laughs> it doesn't it even connect to the internet. You had to wait five minutes. I hope your mom didn't get a phone call. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> exactly. Remember that fucking sound, yeah, yeah. bro? When I we still had dial up when I was uh, reaching puberty, you know. <laughs> and so I'm on the computer, right? And I'm like, mm, I want to find myself a nice young lady to look at. Mm-hmm. And it would take like. 10 minutes to download one shitty photo. Yeah, literally. Yeah, and what I would do is I would go and I would get this this blanket off of the couch and I'd throw it over the computer to like muffle the noise of the <laughs> fucking <laughs> dial-up internet noise so I could stare at pictures of boobs on the internet. <laughs> I was like 13 or whatever. But the problem now is like you have that access in your pocket yeah. and it's instant. Well, it just, it removes, you don't have to solve anything. Like, you only have to remember your freaking passcode. Right. Not even that. Nope. Read your so, face. It was hilarious. I was, so yesterday, no, a couple of days ago, we were driving, and we were just, for some reason, we were talking about all of the, I think I was talking to one of my younger employees about the transition between analog and digital. And one of the examples that I gave was, you know, I was explaining what a cassette tape was, and I was explaining what, I mean, because think about it, right? A 20-year-old today, or 19-year-old, or interns, don't even know what a cassette tape is. Right. And so I was explaining that to them. And I was talking to them about how you, like, wound it with a, with a pencil, and what a VHS tape was, and, like, what you did with them, and how you would record stuff, and then your mom would come and record a fucking soap opera, and then you were, like, going to play your favorite TV show, and then the fucking soap <laughs> opera would show up <laughs> halfway through. And, and all of these different things that, that were kind of mechanical and required understanding and like sort of, you know, you could hack some of those things. Nowadays, I mean, in order for you to hack an iPhone, you have to be a pretty experienced software engineer uh, or to hack anything, basically. And so, you know, part of me just misses that. And I think, the, you know, the, the younger generations are fundamentally different because they did not experience that. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, <clears throat> and you do sound like you're about 75 years old right now. <laughs> fucking, you better just, you should probably just grow and join your fucking grandpa singing opera songs in the fucking rest home. <laughs> you know, because we're still, we're, we're pretty young guys and we grew up in the digital age with all this technology, you know, chat rooms and this and that yeah. and AIM and Yahoo yeah. Chat and MySpace and stuff. And, um, you know, it's like, uh, I feel like every generation says that about the next one. Oh, these fucking guys got all this weird shit, you know. But but it is true, and and I think we're somewhat a product of that as well. And the interesting thing, though, is that I think that somehow, as humans, we have sort of this innate desire for more manual type of things, like podcasting, for instance. Like, the thing that we're doing right now was the most, like, the peak of radio was in what, like, 1940? Mm-hmm. 30, 50? Well, the 50s and 60s is when television 50s. really picked up in yeah. American households, yeah. Right? And so, but but now podcasts are like more popular than they've ever been, and it's just sound that's been around forever. It's kind of crazy. It's like, it's making a little... A comeback. Yeah. Well, I think maybe it might be nostalgia, or the desire for people to sort of go back to something that it's it reminds them somehow of their past, or other... I remember another funny, another funny story of my, my granddad. He built our house where my fa- my mom lives right now in the 1950s. Which is where? 
It's in Vigo, Spain. Uh, you know very well. And in 1956, he bought the first radio in the neighborhood. And he used to turn on the radio in, in the backyard. And all the neighbors would come and sit around the fucking radio <laughs> just to listen to radio programs. Holy shit. And, uh, but the interesting thing is that that brought them together. Right, and like that would escalate into like bottles of wine, and then like smoking, and then just chatting, and then it was four in the morning before anybody went home. Wow, over radio, over radio, right? Yeah. And I wonder what what are the things today that that make that happen for us? Alexa, Alexa, <laughs> <laughs> I bet you ain't allowed in my house. You can't even bitch at each other. I was like, what is the answer to something? It's like, oh, let me ask Google. Yeah, let me, yeah, let me let ask me Siri real quick. <laughs> see what that bitch is up to. <laughs> Life has become so uninteresting. It I'm is, kidding. right? Like, but I'm I, kidding. you know, but I mean, yeah, it's 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 super. It is very interesting, but in the same, it, it, by the same token, like I do think that there's a problem when people don't go outside, when they don't interact with their physical environment. Mm-hmm. I think it's just unhealthy. I think that there's something in the human animal, right, that desires to be in nature, to go for a fucking hike, like all this really simple shit, and it's just so incredibly easy to just stay inside and play vr or do whatever right even like listen to shit watch shows on youtube you don't have to ever really live your leave your house and when when vr and ar really take off it's gonna be it's, it's gonna exacerbate the problem i think well think about the way your brain works right your brain is always looking for the path of least resistance and so when you make things extremely easy what's going to happen is the tendency of your mind as a result of your own activities is going to be to stay in and play video games because the harder thing is to get outside and walk around right and so the, one of the to me one of the biggest questions is how do you how do you start reframing the conversation with people about you know making like making people do things with each other and do things outside easier than turning on the playstation mm. right uh, nobody uses PlayStation today. <laughs> <laughs> I think they still play PlayStation. Yeah, like, Shout out to PlayStation. <laughs> so there's another funny story when, um, so Patrick and I, when we started the company in San Francisco, we your were, company is my company. Uh, we were working out of his living room. His, his company's cat- catalog. His catalog. For the people listening. And it's people. also, they also make like all the really cool shit that you see on Instagram. Like all that super fucking like artsy, this and that color fucking gelled, cool like skin cream or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what this guy does. Makes beautiful content. All of that content. I'm sorry. The interesting thing is that making content is a, is a logistical problem. It's a highly physical, manual piece of labor. Right. right? But the results are so digital. But um, anyway, that's sort of a segue. But the, the idea is we were, we were in, the, in the living room and, you know, we used to work you know, long hours, 14-hour days, whatever. And, and Patrick used to have these friends from Google just come and play video games. And at the time, you know, I didn't know what to do because we were in Daly City, didn't have a car. It's not San Francisco, so I can just walk outside and, and like, walk to the city. And, and then I didn't, I didn't want to pay for an Uber. So I used to sit in the house and do nothing until one day, he basically bought me FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> he bought like, you FIFA? Because he's like, this is the only game you're ever going to play. <laughs> so he bought me FIFA with a PlayStation so that I could actually play. Like a true European. Like a true European. Like a true Spaniard. That was the, yeah. And so I used to play, I used to be in San Francisco Monday to Friday. And, and in the evenings, I had nothing to do, so I would just play FIFA. 
And then on Fridays to fly back to LA. Dude, I'll tell you one thing is like, I don't have an addictive personality, generally speaking, except for like, I do get addicted to like creating new shit. Mm-hmm. And like learning new skills mm-hmm. and things like that. I get legitimately addicted to those things, which is a healthy thing uh, for the most part, I think, um, with one exception. And that exception is Call of Duty. Interesting. I will fucking murder people on for the internet hours. on Call of Duty. I could sit there, bro. If you, I'm telling you what, it's like if, if you just put a fucking Xbox in front of me with Call of Duty Black Ops and, uh, you know what case of diet mountain dew bro i could go on for fucking like 10 hours non-stop um so i don't allow myself around video games for that reason i do not i employ the discipline mm-hmm. don't allow myself around it i've noticed that you don't have a television here yeah i also don't have that you don't i haven't had one since 2000s that's interesting. Since I was 18. I only know two people that are friends of mine that don't have television, and it's one you're one of them, and then there's another friend I have, Brian, and that actually doesn't like intentionally doesn't want to have a television. Yeah. And I think it's a phenomenal idea. Yeah, I also just don't whenever I have like this weird anxiety about mm-hmm. TVs and, and movies and stuff like that. Like if I'm watching a show, I feel genuinely like at this innate instinct that I'm wasting my entire life that's true like there's this thing in my head like yeah you know, like the devil and the angel or whatever and i don't know which one it is or one of both but they're just like you're wasting your life what are you doing do something productive yeah do something productive produce produce what what what, what are we doing like that's true that's true the end is near run that's true yeah i mean most of the conversations that i see happening in bars and places like that are a lot of them are about netflix shows oh, and yeah. about what you've watched and what i've watched and it's super interesting because that that's changed a lot. I would say recently. That's some LA and shit people, too. Yeah, people have a lot to relate, you know, to relate to in the shows. Um, I, you know, the, the thing, the interesting thing for me is that I only tolerate shows that make me think or are somehow contrarian and like provoke some sort of thoughts and and the conflict, the com- the, the mental conflict. And challenges that come with watching those shows and me trying to figure things out is the only thing that gets me entertained. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. I mean, Ari watches, the, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians and all that stuff. Oh. And I'm like, every time I see that on TV, I'm like, oh, oh God. <laughs> I need to run away. Oh, man. It's, yeah. I, I could not do, uh, I could not do the that. real question, Hakobo, is, and do you keep up with the Kardashians? I, do, I don't. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I drive, I drive through La Cienega and Santa Monica every day and all I can see is a fucking billboard <laughs> the size of my living room or twice as big, probably <laughs> something about makeup. So yep. I, I think it's one of the Kardashians. So. Yeah. It's one of the weirdest things. One of the weird cultural phenomenon. Hey, it's look, like and, people's and obsession with people. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, but so, so I read this incredibly interesting article the other day. It's called the psychology of money. And there's about 14, 14 sort of parts to it that explain about different aspects of the relationship with, of people with money. One of the 14 points um, basically explain the concept of, you know, when you, and the story was this guy was a valet parking guy at a hotel in LA. And every day he would see all these people come in with very expensive cars. And he explains a story about this guy that would drive a Ferrari every day. You know, Ferrari is like a what, quarter million dollars. 
and this guy would drive in with a Ferrari every day. And what most people think is, wow, you know, that guy is driving the Ferrari. He must be very wealthy. But what this guy is thinking is, well, that guy is $250,000 less wealthy than he was before he bought the Ferrari. <laughs> and so the whole idea is that, you know, people think they want to be millionaires, but what they want is the things that come with being a millionaire. What, you, what they fail to understand is, if you become a millionaire, it's because you haven't spent the money. The minute you spend the money, you cease to be a millionaire. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so the, 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 the part of it that was really interesting is, when you look at somebody, and, and you're, you're the guy driving the Ferrari, you feel really good about it and all that stuff. When people look at you, they're actually not admiring you. They're putting themselves in, in your shoes and thinking about how they would feel if they would be driving the Ferrari. So you don't matter at all, right? That's the whole point of why why, like people that are famous and wealthy and so on often struggle to have friends because people are not actually admiring them. They're projecting themselves into their lifestyle and then imagining that in their heads. Isn't that interesting? Blowing my mind right now. You know what that reminds me of is like, so, so, you know, I'm a fan of all genres of music, generally speaking, but there is shit music. Just, there just is. And some of the lyrics are horrible, like really, really bad, terribly, well, poorly thought out lyrics, right? And oftentimes the worst lyrics are in rap. They just are. And you know, when I'm listening to some of those really stereotypically terrible lyrics, right? It's like, I'm in my fucking Ferrari, right? Riding on 22s, hose in the back, fucking cheddar flying out the windows. And it's basically just like one giant braggadocious, like lyrical amalgamation of bullshit. And when I'm listening to it, I'm like, I would never want to hang out with a guy that's just telling me about that guy. It's like, like you ever hung out with somebody who's just nonstop, just bragging about shit that they own? That would be so fucking annoying. I could not imagine doing that. But, but like what you're saying, what, what I failed to realize is, oh, these people aren't thinking about it. Like, oh, that guy could be my friend. And uh, talk about his 22-inch rims. They are actually thinking like, oh, I am that guy. I got the 22s. There you go. It's a very different psychology. Right. Think about it. Right. And then, you know, that explains why those people are often very lonely and very depressed. It's really hard to make friends in that situation. Because all that people want is the things you have. They don't want you. Right. And so... You know, I was exposed to that for many years when I came to LA, as you very well know. <laughs> I do. And, and you know, witnessing some of the people that I see the world looking up to, and you look at it from the inside, and you realize they're just as flawed as we are. The difference is that their reach is so big that when those people say things that, that others want to follow, they get everywhere. But they also realize that they cannot be human because the minute they become human, the magnifying of that information can actually tear people apart. So they smile to the audience, but they cry when they're alone. Yeah. And it's the craziest thing. Yeah. Because they're just as flawed as we are. And a lot of them, you know, I think it is the thing that that really gets in in the heads of people like that. And I, I think it's like they get in their own heads a little bit like, oh, I'm this, I'm this, you know this vision of some human that actually isn't really them. Like, it's some version of them, for sure. 
but it's not them, them, you know? And I think when you get wrapped up in sort of that outward ego and you're not real, like if you're not being real on the outside and then everybody's obsessed with like some, you know, f- like facade of, of uh, you know, a skin suit of who you are, then it gets really tricky because like you said, as soon as you actually are who you are, then all the wheels fall off. So here's a tough question for you. How do you draw a balance between being 100% authentic and being who the people you want to influence needs? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I mean, for me, <clears throat> for better or for worse, and you know me well, you're one of my best friends, um, you know, it's like I just am real all the time. And so like, fuck it, you know, and, and that's and so like sometimes that's good and sometimes it has negative externalities. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like I know who I am. I'm comfortable with who I am. I, I know I'm a good dude. I know I have people's interests, uh, best interest in mind. Like, and so, you know, if, if me being me or making dumb jokes about stupid shit, um, you know, makes stuck up people angry or whatever, then fuck yourself. I don't know. I, just, I it's, it's a bad piece of advice because I, I think that <clears throat> maybe it's a bad piece of advice to be like, be who just be you because if you're a shitty person that's a terrible advice <laughs> right like if you're a total piece of shit and you're just like dude the best piece of advice man just be you and then you are you and everybody hates you because you're a total piece of shit maybe that's not the best thing for you I, so so i do think it's it's highly personalized but there, there's there's some you know lever, level of comfortability in in each person's mind i think in in terms of like how raw they can be versus how uh, buttoned up they have to be for various reasons right like the number one thing at least in my mind is is money you know like don't don't do anything to fuck up your money and I would never suggest anybody does anything to to fuck up their money, because I think without that, then you go into a whole different spiral of despair and sadness and all this different shit. Um, you know, so it is an interesting balance. And I, I think it just takes a lot of introspection, maybe a little bit of mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> you see, this is a lot of things in life can be solved with that. Yeah, that's true. So so here's another question. I think something that I've thought about a lot, um, you know, you and I didn't grow up in wealthy households and but we do have friends that that are entrepreneurs that sort of run around the same circles that we do that did grow up in you know affluent homes and what i found really interesting is the relationship with fear that you and i have it's very different than the one they have you know i we've we've built something from nothing we've built companies and we've built friendships we've gotten to where we are us people and professionals on our own accord, right? Without a lot of financial or intellectual support. Um, and so, you know, when I talked to friends of mine that had parents that supported them, that were educated, that, you know, provided with a safety net, they, they seem a lot less afraid than, than we do sometimes. I feel like, you know, when, when we build something at the back of our mind, there's always this little thing, this little voice that is like, you better not fuck up because if you do, you're hitting the ground, you're hitting the, like the all time low. And so do not let yourself get there. But when I talk to them, they never seem scared about this. Things. And I wonder like, 
do those do those people have the same drive than we do or where does the drive come from that's an interesting question you know and and you're right like one of the weird things uh that, that i've realized at least through sort of my entrepreneurial journey over the last x amount of years is there's a lot of people that came from a lot of opulent wealth and or, you know, parents that had all their shit together or educated or you name your litany of, of circumstantial variables. But, um, you know, I, uh, the, the reason that they don't have to fear as much is because if you fall into a pit of foam doing a backflip, no danger, right? But if you're doing a backflip, and you're going to fall, if you don't land right, you're going to fall on the concrete, dire consequences, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, I do find, generally speaking, the people that, that have that foam pit don't have as strong of a drive, especially when things get rough, to just keep going and eat plates of shit to keep doing what they need to do. That's such an interesting uh, perspective. I, you know... I- Along the same lines, I was talking to a mentor of mine, you know, very successful, middle age, lives in LA, you know, has done so well in business that he basically doesn't necessarily have to work. He does because he enjoys it and, and he likes challenges and learning new things. But he always tells me, you know, he grew up, you know, by the time he was 16, he dropped out of high school, slept in his car for months at a time, built himself from nothing to, you know, but multi-millionaire and uh, he was talking to me about his kid and 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 you know he i find remarkable the, the way that he educates his child i mean he's a tremendous dad super stimulating it really keeps his, his child is a sort of you know learning new things and going and so on he's five years old but one of the things that he said to me was doesn't matter what i do he will never feel what i felt right because I, I will educate him on being humble and you know being respectful and learn understanding the, the value of money and what things costs, but he'll never feel it in his skin the way I did. And and one of the conversations I had was like, how did that change you? Like, how is that going to make for a different human being? And what are the positives and negatives? Like, what is your child going to have that you never did? And you know, what are you going to have, or what do you have that your child will never have access to, from a in a mindset perspective? Yeah. And I agree with you. I think that that inherent drive is just not going to be there. But the question is, is that drive out of fear? Or is the drive out of just wanting more or wanting better or bigger? I think it's both. <clears throat> I think that, you know, especially when you don't come uh, from anything and you, and you sort of live in that poverty cycle, um, at least, and, you know, I've, I've, I've lived it, you know, um, you, you are desperate you feel despair um that's not a feeling you can give someone you can give them the feeling of struggle right you can make them do hard things you can make them get uncomfortable and have respect um you know for 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 different sorts of struggles that people do have and you can put them in in stressful situations certainly but there's just no equivalent to that And, and the drive i do i think that at least for me a big part of what drives me is the fear to never be poor again. Like, like living in the fucking hood, relying on government assistance, any of that kind of shit, I will tell you is the most 
shitty situation you can possibly fucking be in. And I, I hear a lot of guys, I was watching this guy who has a uh, relatively big name, I'm not going to name his name, but <clears throat> watched this video that he was, you know, on Instagram. He's like, oh, I was on this fucking stage. And he's, you know, making money was the uh, worst thing that ever happened to me. I, you know, was so much happier before I became a multi, multi-millionaire and all this shit. And I'm like, yeah, says the fucking rich guy. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, rich guy says, you know, I was way happier when I was poor. Shut the fuck up. It's just not true. Like, if you don't have a baseline level of security, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. right? If you don't have that baseline blanket of security, you're not going to be as happy, period. Because you have to worry about some of the most basic needs in your life. Yeah, you're stealing food. You know? That's very interesting. I, you know, I always wonder about the the impacts. And one, one of the interesting things is, you know, I find I, happiness is a tricky word for me because, you know, I feel like, especially in this country, there's such an emphasis on, you know, build the American dream, do all those different things, be happy. There's this pursuit. Where I come from, it's implicit. And so it's implicit is like it, it, it's sort of part of the fabric of society is that people are satisfied, right? And the, the results of that is that there isn't that much ambition. Like people are not as ambitious as they are in the United States. There isn't as much immigration of people coming and, and telling themselves the story is like, I got nothing, I want something. But I would argue that people are happier. And I would also argue that leaving that place and leaving that culture and moving here has made me more curious, more interesting, perhaps live a more intriguing and fun and, and sort of a life full of new experiences. But it's also made that happiness has become a more tricky word mm. and, and something that is a lot harder for me to understand because I do feel that I'm building this castle and I constantly look around and I'm like, oh, the, the waves are coming or this person is about to walk through it and break it down or is the structure sound enough? Mm. Like I'm constantly looking around me like, okay, what is going to fuck up? Are the Mongols my at the thing? gates? <laughs> right? Like, it's true. I'm the trebuchet! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. okay. That's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, the Mongols at the gates. For real, dude. What have you been reading? <laughs> <laughs> nothing about the mongols unfortunately <laughs> probably should <laughs> this is the way my brain works man <laughs> oh, i'm glad i'm uh, fueled for that yeah well no i think you're you're 100 right it's happiness is super duper super duper tricky and i think that the disconnect comes from like by pursuing your dream or or whatever in theory you know logic would say hey if this is something i really want to do if I do it, then I'll be happy, right? But there's all these other sort of external variables that you don't see. You know, it's like you don't see the fucking Mongols at the gates, right? Like you, you don't anticipate that happening. You think, oh, well, you know, the American dream. What the fuck is a dream? Dreams aren't real, right? Like execution in the real world is real. And so you have, I, I think maybe even the word American dream like that, that that's sort of a misnomer because dreams sort of just aren't the right thing to call them, right? Maybe it's like manifestations in real. I don't know what the fuck. It'd be a way boring, way more boring term than no one would ever say if it was accurate. 
But I do think that happiness is weird, and you do see that. You know, I saw it in Spain. Um, you know, with you, I, I went to Spain and, and spent time in Vigo, and um, people do seem <clears throat> sort of content. Um, and also, the banks don't open until noon, and they're open for an hour, and everyone's just chilling all the time. So there's also like, it's weird too, because like you have a, you have a capitalist society in, in both places, and in large part, at least in the U.S., it's measured by like output, I feel like, whereas like you said, in it's it's more it's measured more on like work output than it is just um, you know family relationships and just kind of living life. You know, I feel like people live life just to live life in other places much more than in the U.S. I'd completely agree. Here is a contrarian statement. I think a lot of people are going to cringe when I say this. Economic prosperity <laughs> is and directly opposed to overall happiness of a country. Mm, is it on a country level? Think about it this way, right? I think Haiti would probably disagree. Okay, so let, let's set up some boundaries here. Okay. So economic prosperity in terms of, you know, for a country that meets the baseline of needs, right? So the, the bottom two steps of the pyramid. Anything above that contributes to both economic growth but also anxiety and discontent and people feeling like they don't have a community there is a uh, again I, I recently read that some of the you know some of the effects that that people don't talk about with with the sort of the, the trump economic um policy you know that supposedly has grown gdp and has like decreased you know unemployment and all these different things is the the negative impacts in terms of like uh, you know elevated uh, levels of anxiety, elevated um, <clears throat> numbers of uh, suicide and depression, and all the impacts that that uh, a highly functioning capitalist country can have on the people, because the people are the ones that are constantly forced to over deliver, and to you know build better and bigger and more risky and more prosperous economic. Um, you know, sandcastles. Yeah. And, and, and what are the effects of, hey, you get home in the evening, go and have a beer with your friends. It's okay. You don't have to build an empire. Like, don't be anxious about having to build a billion dollar business. It's okay if you don't. Right. It's just not in me to think that way, bro. It is not. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think it's true in a lot of ways, actually. Um, for me, just on, on on sort of an N of one basis, I just can't, I just, what makes me happy is to try to build an empire, you know, like I'd have a beer with you or, you know, five of my closer friends, but like to go spend time with a bunch of fucking idiots playing like beer pong on a taco Tuesday <laughs> isn't very interesting to me. I'd rather be designing something, doing, you know, but, but there is something like, <clears throat> there is that, um, that inescapable desire for growth. And, and the trap in that is like every business is expected to grow forever. And it's an unrealistic thing, right? Like they're expected to grow more and more and more and more and more infinitely forever. It, and if you're not, then you're failing as a business, right? Like, and so I think that in a lot of ways that's good because that's how you get fucking iPhones, right? Um, that's how you get 
a car. That's how you get a lot of things that were created in this country. Um, but there are a lot of negative externalities as well. Here's, a, here's an interesting example. I had a conversation with a fellow entrepreneur the other day that built a sort of a similar company that, that we are building but about a decade ago. And, and he said, you know, we, we raised all this venture capital. We built this company. We got $35 million, uh, $35 million in revenue a year. And we failed. And I said, like, what do you mean you failed? And he said, yeah, because we were growing only 25% year over year, not 70%. <laughs> and, and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and obviously, you know, there is, there is the, the, the market, which is like, you know, you, you raise venture capital. There's a certain expectation as to what kind of business you have to build. But just the idea that he built a $35 million business a year with two founders that had an incredible lifestyle. <laughs> and he was so disappointed. Yeah. Because he only built a $35 million business. Yeah. Fucking chump change. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. $35 so, million. But, but, you know, but, but that, that speaks about the level of ambition that people like us have. That, you know, we always want to be building just things that are so unimaginable. Yeah. At the same time, you know, what is the price? Like an- another, another, you know, a- a same article, The Psychology of Money. Another thing that he talked about was what is the price you pay for being successful? Like what is the price of success? And what he talked about is most people usually consider the price to be monetary, right? Um, but it's actually not. When you think about Warren Buffett, you say he became the richest man in the world or the wealthiest man in the world, the second right now. But, and, and you're like, okay, well, you know, he's a pretty well-rounded guy, pretty grounded family guy. But what they don't tell you is that for 75 years, that guy never saw his family because all he did was read 16 hours a day of SEC filings, right? Yeah. So that's the price. <clears throat> you know, I, I, um, I live that life in a lot of ways, which you know, actually. And, you know, it's, I think that, that everybody has sort of a varying level of what they need in terms of, you know, their family situation. Like, do you have a dad? Do you have a mom? Do you have a... Some people don't even have a family. I don't have a ton of it. Um, <clears throat> do you have a significant other in your life? Do you have friends? <clears throat> and one thing that, that, you know, I definitely... The cost of success is a very interesting thing, and it's real. Like, the cost of success, for me at least, has been personal relationships. Like, I don't see my friends as often as I should. Right. I don't see, I don't talk to them as often as I should. And I think that long term that plays out. But for me, it's like, it's a bit of a speed game. You know, it's like, if I can just get through the beginning parts of success to, to reach that echelon, then I can over time sort of optimize for happiness. At least that's the, the story I tell myself. So can you define that? Where is the inflection point? Define the inflection point for me. I think the inflection point is where you don't have to worry about having <clears throat> a salary to, to pay for your basic needs. I think once, once you have enough money and you can just make interest on you know, the million plus dollars that you have in a bank, um, thus to pay for basic living expenses, then you have at least the latitude to not have to think about, oh man, that number Every month, draining the bank account. See, that's interesting. My my instinct would be to think exactly the same way. Now, when you ask people that are further along in their careers of life than than we are, and they look back and you know they're financially set, they often say, "I would give whatever I have to be where you are right now." Right. Or you will not feel any different 
by the time you achieve that because you will immediately set the next milestone yeah that's true <clears throat> it's a moving goalpost for sure one of the one of the, the biggest learning lessons for i think for me is when we raised our second round of financing it was such a grueling process um, we were very close to running out of money and having to, to shut down the company. And, you know, I realized the minute the round was closed, the money was in the bank, we were going to be okay. I didn't go out to celebrate. The minute, I swear to God, the minute that it was like 10 in the morning, <coughs> we, got the, we got the response, you know, the, the round had been finalized. We signed it. 10 minutes later, I was back at my desk stressing out about <laughs> the hiring plan for the next six months on how to deploy that capital. Yeah, so why weren't you getting beers with your friends, bro? Because the minute that I went over that hurdle, my mind completely forgot yeah. about how I felt before I had accomplished it. Goal and I immediately moved. reset it. Yeah. Onto the next thing. <clears throat> yeah, onto the next one. And so one of the things that I constantly ask myself is how do you how are you okay? Or how do you how can you be happy and satisfied with the process today yeah instead of thinking about all the things that you haven't achieved which i think is, is a natural instinct for us because we're always shooting so high mm -hmm. and and it's it, it continues to be a struggle yeah it is you know it there, there's the thing is you have like you have a finite amount of time to spend period on anything and i think you have to do what makes you happy and i think that takes a lot of introspection and for me at least <clears throat> you know like i don't need a ton of friends i don't need like 30 people to just give me attention all the time you know like in in person like i just that's not a thing that i value um do i value a, a small group of close-knit friends absolutely and i do think you have to build in structures in your life to make sure that you're feeding those plants in your brain because as soon as you let them die that's when sadness happens that's when depression sets in that's when burnout and fatigue and all these different things happen and you know i think that it's one of those things where where you just have to understand who who you are you know more than anything else because i can say from from my perspective how how i see the world how my brain functions but that's just not how everybody else's does it and i think a lot of people are probably a, a little bit too scared to ask themselves the, those real questions you know is working and you and i both work for ourselves right we started our own businesses now put yourself in the shoes of the guy at goldman sachs that's been there for 10 years and is working the same amount of hours right just you know from 8 a.m to 12 a.m or whatever the fuck and he's working for some suit in the top of a manhattan skyscraper and that is i mean yeah that, that's something i couldn't do i couldn't do that absolutely not a chance i could do that so i would rather be in thailand on a fishing boat <laughs> you've already been there <laughs> <laughs> i would be happy i can find happiness anywhere i truly believe that although i i know the things that make me the most happy but dude i can fucking be happy living with a fucking shaman in the middle of the jungle just murdering anacondas feeding the village taking ayahuasca bro and fishing <laughs> and shit like that have my little family out there in the middle of the jungle i can find happiness in that be fine that's true. But I could not be in that goddamn Goldman Sachs office. But you know why? I thought about that a lot too, and I think it comes down to freedom. Dude, freedom, freedom is my number one 
goal, period, everything in my life maps to freedom. That, that is the game for me. One day you wake up and you realize that you become unemployable. But not because you're not smart enough or you know, competent, but because you appreciate freedom too much. And so everything in your life instantly starts revolving around how do we gain more freedom? Yeah. And I think when you think about the concept of making more money or building a company or, you know, designing your life in a way that it's compelling, it's it's all about that. It's mm-hmm. having the ability to make decisions based on what you think and what you want to do, having, having the freedom to decide how to spend your time and who to spend your time with and not be bound by a set of rules and guidelines that were not designed by you. That's it. Yeah, I 100% agree. And that's my whole, that's my whole thesis on life is optimize for freedom, period. And you'll oftentimes hear that said in the terms of having fuck you money. That's what fuck you money means. Freedom. I have so much fuck you money, you couldn't pay me to do shit. Because I don't give a fuck. I can do anything I want. Oh, want to go like hang out at the fucking Seychelles Islands? No problem give myself a whatever the fuck like that's what and and that's where the monetary piece sort of meets the freedom is that's what fuck you money is you just get to go do whatever you want because because having the supreme optionality to do whatever you want in life i think is what at least gives you the absolute it's like a it's like a little ball of play-doh and you can you can shape that into fucking dollars you can shape it into hookers and cocaine you can fucking shape it into kids and a wife you know you can whatever you want to make it into you can make it into and when you don't have the option to do anything else that's when you feel stuck and at least for me it feels suffocating one of the interesting things is that not everybody feels that way right i think there are there are different types of people that optimize for different things and and the great majority optimize for you know a, a third party or an external sort of institution to design a set of rules that that allow them to live their life in a more safe way and 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 i think the the interesting thing and the 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 back and forth for me is having extreme amounts of freedom means you're entirely responsible for the decisions that you make meaning when you fuck up it's entirely on you and when you make great decisions then it's also entirely on you but that freedom, you know, comes with a lot of, a lo- I think a lot of baggage in the sense that, you know, you make the wrong decision and like your life is really going to suffer. And when you run a company, for example, you making the wrong decision not only affects you, but affects like a great deal of people. And so when you think about the concept of fuck you money, like you spoke about right now, I think there is also a, there's a plateau in the sense that, you know, you make enough so that you have that level of freedom where the level of responsibility is manageable because you build a billion dollar business. I trust me, you will struggle to sleep at night because the level of responsibility has outweighed the financial reward or the potential for freedom. And so there's that sweet spot somewhere there yeah and i don't think it's a building a billion dollar business unless you get out unless you get out unless you get out 
but then you're going to get yourself into the next one. Maybe. <laughs> but then maybe, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, people are like, hey, man, you ever want to start a bar or something cool? And I'm like, uh, that sounds like a fucking horrible business to be in because there's fail at a higher rate. There's a bunch of yeah. overhead nightmare, right? But if you're running that billion dollar business and you really like to fucking make fucking foie gras or whatever you're doing, um, you know, you can say, okay, well, I'm going to exit from my billion dollar business and I'm going to run a 15 seater Italian cafe bullshit, whatever. And you're just making gnocchi in the back and it loses $250,000 a year. And you know what? It's okay. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because you just, you know, you, you got your cash, you got it. But oftentimes what happens is people keep themselves in that, in that trap. They get to the top and then it's like, oh man, but if I, but if I get out of that billion dollar business situation, society is going to look down on me or something, right? It's like the fear of people's expectations and viewpoints on you. Like, oh, he only runs a 15-seater Italian gnocchi restaurant serving foie gras. That guy must be fucking insane, right? Like, like if today Zucks was like, you know what? Fuck Facebook. I'm out. Ching, ching, ching. Ring that motherfucking register. Buy a Lamborghini. Trade it in for a Bugatti. Skirt! Down PCH. Open up a five-table restaurant. And he's just cooking fucking skirt steak. Everybody <laughs> would think he lost his fucking mind. But he may, that may just be what freedom looks like to him. That's interesting. Then you think that, to a certain degree, you know, you talk about... I think a lot of things we talked about is, is, is stimulants, right? challenges and, and, and things and, and new things and new experiences are just ways to stimulate your brain. And that's, that's the name of the game, right? Curiosity is essentially that. And I think there is an addiction to the problems that come with building a business. There is, I am almost positive because, because it's, it's, it's almost like some, some months Things are just go work. They're working out. They're going well. The company is growing at the rate that it's growing. Things are working. Employees are happy. And I'm constantly running around with my fucking head cut off thinking like, what's the next problem? Yeah. I need another problem. Yeah. I'm bored. I'm bored. I need another. Right. <laughs> and so, so you, sometimes you create them, right? That's true. Yeah. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes. <clears throat> I think there is, I think there, <clears throat> it's almost like being in a bad relationship. <clears throat> you're like yeah i mean it's really good one's good but i also kind of like a crazy bitch <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like, oh, like a little bit of spice like a little bit of extra hot shot find yourself a latina my friend that will give you that will give you that will give you the spices. Uh, oh man i've had yeah i have had way too many spices on that front in my life <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah it's there is there is a weird thing where like you do get sort of addicted to process and you get addicted to the new shiny shit sometimes like at least for me one of the things that i know for sure i'm addicted to is starting new shit doesn't even matter what it is what do you mean uh starting new shit like a company starting a new side hustle That's starting it. a new website starting a new fucking design starting a new podcast starting a new 
anything. Like creating something out of nothing is what really just fucking gets me off. And it doesn't even matter like if I make a dollar off of it. It's not even money driven. So I definitely do get addicted to that addicted to that. And if there's a money component tied into it, it makes the addiction a little bit stronger. But then again, if it's going too well, hug it bored. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the process when you you do you do one of those things and and it doesn't work? If it doesn't work in what sense? So if say for example, you know, right now, I mean we're recording a podcast, but yeah. I'm sure you've started projects and products and you know things and, and little side gigs on the in the, in the in the past ten years that have not worked out, right? So like, what what narrative? What do you tell yourself when those things don't work out so you don't lose enthusiasm to continue trying to do it? It depends on what the goal is, because you know, creating something new for me may be writing a song, and I don't need external market validation. To feel whole for creating a song that I like, that tells a story that I've experienced, that I've crafted and thought about and written and written and written over time. And if no people ever hear it, that's okay. I don't need to have a million fucking listens on Spotify to feel value in that. Um, But I think it depends on the goal. Like if I start a company and I raise venture capital, then the expectation is return value to your shareholders, right? And so now you are beholden to this external locus of control instead of this internal locus of control. And as soon as that happens, if if you don't sell the business or, you know, raise a shitload of money from private equity or something like that, then that doesn't feel good because that you've you've defined the, the goal as that thing. And so it really depends on 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 what you do and you know, I was kicking around this idea of creating a, a clothing brand, which I definitely am going to do. And I haven't uh, fully executed on it because I haven't had the time yet, but it does not have the goal of making a fuckload of money. It's just some cool shit I want to do. Like even this podcast, like it's just some cool shit I want to do. I was like talking to my friends about cool, interesting thoughts. And like, you have a ton of interesting thoughts, <clears throat> which is why I was so stoked to have you on. Like, because I just like it. And if I never make a dollar from it, that's fine. If it costs me money to do it, like, okay. So it's one of those things where you're enjoying the process. Yeah. But is it everything? So for example, you know, it's your company. Is it about enjoying the process? No. Or is it about the outcome? It's about making them fucking, it's about making that Gitas, baby. <clears throat> so, <laughs> it's, so then it's about setting the right expectation. Yeah. It's, it's, something. it's the goal. Yeah. It's saying, what is the fucking goal here? You know, what is the goal? Because if your goal is sell the business, you don't do that. That doesn't feel good. But if the goal is to enjoy the process of making something, then you're probably going to hit that every time. And if you don't enjoy making the thing or the process of what you're doing, and the goal was to enjoy making the process, then you just stop doing it. Start another one. Let's switch gears for a second. Let me ask you something. How would you define the modern man? Weak. (laughs) <laughs> well so much hope so much hope look you know how i define the modern man <clears throat> when i look at the men around me generally speaking and this doesn't go for my close friends um it doesn't go for you know a lot of people but i think in aggregate 
a lot of those dudes are weak fucking bitches. A lot of them. I think it's a huge fucking problem. And, um, you know, it was something that Tim Kennedy said on, on a podcast somewhere that I heard, and I, I can't remember who to attribute this quote to actually, but he says something like, strong men create safe societies and safe societies create weak men who create weak societies who create strong men who create safe societies and it's this fucking feedback loop where you have strong men that protect the people and you don't have war and genocide and all this crazy shit and we're living in one of the safest times we've ever lived in as a human species ever like by far like there are no mongols at the gates there are no marauding vikings in the fucking bay ready to just rape and pillage your village like no one's there. And so by virtue of that, you have a lot of fucking weakness that happens in the society. And what happens then? The society will slowly break down and weaken. And then you have to have, you know what I mean? And, and so I think that feedback loop is true. And I think that we're currently experiencing a very, very fluffy environment. I think everybody wants to nerf the world. No sharp edges. You know, everybody's got to be really buttoned up and politically correct and watch everything you say and tiptoe around all the shit because people are too sensitive and, and fucking pussies because there are no actual external threats to society right now. Like you don't have to worry, at least in this country, in large part about, you know, a lot of a lot of danger relative to the way that humans have lived for 200 plus thousand years. Um, and so I do think that that. Man, in some ways, the good in that is that they're more educated, right? You're more educated, you're more empathetic, you're more kind and understanding to some extent um, for certain people's plight. And I think a lot of that has to do with the internet um, and just the availability of information, broadly speaking. Uh, but I do think that men face sort of this thing and you hear this like toxic masculinity or that mis masculinity is bad. And I think that's fucking bullshit. I think it's people that just want to control people. You know, is femininity bad? I don't think so. So, I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but that's, no, that's kind of that's how great. I feel. That's yeah. exactly what I Not wanted. Not that I've thought about this at all. <laughs> I, can, I can tell. You haven't spent a th second thinking. Not one minute. So, so t to me, it's interesting because I, I tend to compare role models of the last, you know, call it the 1920s to today, right? The last hundred years. And, and, and let's think about men in this case, you know, we're, we're both kind of we're both men. So we look up to, to other role models, mostly men. So I think about, you take the industrialist, you know, back in the twenties, you had Henry Ford and then fifties and sixties, I was watching a great documentary the other day about Gianni Agnelli, um, the founder of Fiat, well, the founder family of Fiat and for, about Ferrari and essentially, you know, a, a tremendous force in Italy. and and sort of what has that, what has the like 1960s, you know, Roger Moore, Sean Connery, Gianni Agnelli evolved into today? You know, what is that? What is that? Who is that person today? Young Jeezy. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's sad. It, it, I, I'm extremely saddened by that mm -hmm. because you don't have, you don't have a role model of, of a man. But, but, but the problem is, is because society doesn't reward that, right? Like back in the day, those men were role models because society admired them, right? Their contribution. And nowadays, I, you know, the, 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 the gentlemen are not admired. They're not values that are 
sort of, you know, watchable on YouTube and entertaining. And, and so, you know, being like that doesn't pay dividends. Hence why you have, you know, stupid YouTube celebrities that, that, you know, amount to nothing and provide no value, no education of any kind, because society doesn't want that. They'd rather look at Jake Paul than look at like David Attenborough on, on, you know, planet earth. That's really sad. It is sad. And, you know, I think one thing that you said that resonated with, with me is being a gentleman. And that, I think that's like to be masculine is to be a gentleman, right? It's, it is to open doors for women and men because you're just a gentleman. Like you're, you're being a kind man, a strong, kind man. I think that's what men should be. You should be strong, both mentally and physically. You should be kind mentally and physically, always. And I don't think that there's a lot of good role models. And unfortunately, too, and like if you listen to, coming back to rap lyrics, like if you listen to some of the actual lyrics of the songs, you, I mean, you want to talk about some misogynistic insanity. It's all in there. And like, in, in large part, young people look up to those, those people, right? Like, you know, like, like fucking hoes and like, you know, treating women not like they should be treated as a strange, like almost subconscious celebration of, of that, of that thing that no one really talks about. And they've never really talked about it. I find it very strange. You know, one of the, one of the things I, I always use as an example is there's two things. One is more controversial than the other, but I'll give you both examples. So the first story is the oxygen mask story. And the idea is when you're on a plane and you have your child sitting next to you, the guidelines say, put the mask on yourself before you put it on your child. Right? Mm-hmm. You remember seeing this, right? And they repeat it over and over again. And I think to myself, you know, my grandparents and my parents, when they brought me up, all they lived for was me, right? Their dedication, their, their money, their, you know, always working to be of service and to make my life easier. I remember my grandfather, you know, I mean, he, he did so much. You know, he ran the family, he ran the show, he provided security, safety, you know, uh, all these different things that, that made me feel like I was protected. And, and nowadays, I feel like society is saying, hey, you don't have to be that way anymore. Don't worry. It's, it's a generation of the self. Mm-hmm. Take care of yourself first, and then maybe you can take care of others. But don't forget, take care of yourself first. Right. right? And, and, and I think there's, there's something fundamentally off about that. The fact that, you know, we've, we're being trained to always put yourself first. And, and suddenly this whole, like, I see a lot of this in, in, the, in the, wealth, the, the health and wellness movement of, you know, take care of yourself and, like, go to yoga and, that, you know, be in peace and, you know, always think about you and you and, and take care of you and, like, wake up at the right time and go to bed at the right time and, like, like, like how are you going to start a fucking family? Namaste, bro. Namaste. Right? Like, <laughs> you don't think your child should be your priority you don't think that like you know god like 
I remember my grandparents, they paid, my, grand, my grandmother was a, a, a high school teacher, right? And my grandfather worked for uh, the government. Very modest salaries. They saved enough money over their lifetime to buy three houses and pay five children, like five children, education, university education for five, children, for five grandkids. And so when they passed away, they left us, five grandchildren, enough money to pay for university. So I didn't have to get a fucking loan mm. when I went to school. And so I was like, by the way, the university in Europe is a thousand bucks a year. Yeah, so it's a little, no? a little different. <laughs> but, but my point is they lived for others, right? They lived to take care of the people around them. And the, that model it's gone it's completely gone so what the fuck is going to happen when when youtube celebrities have kids what are those kids going to look like you know what they're going to look like they're going to look like having a nanny all day every day and they barely see their parents and i also think it's a function of how big of a city you're in like in the city of los angeles what i see oftentimes right like i'm, I'm gonna go box or whatever and um you know i'm riding my motorcycle past you know nannies walk you know with, with kids in strollers and not that there's anything wrong with that and in all likelihood i'll be having some component of that in my life at some juncture however like if that's all you're doing you bad parent you know what i mean like like my dad was extraordinarily selfless so selfless i mean he's so selfless in the fact that like if he never even like like we're really good friends but like if i had a lesser good friend you know some acquaintance of some sort that he had never met and they went to jail he would drive two hours to bail them out and not even fucking tell me probably because he was just that guy. Like he was so incredibly selfless and, and me growing up and watching that, I can only try to, to even be, you know, a speck of, of semblance of what he was. Um, you know, so, so my perspective on it is, you know, it's a highly individualized thing. And I, I, think that when you move into bigger societies you see less humanity you see less more sort of, prosperous bigger yeah, more prosperous way more prosperous like if you broke down on the side of the road on the freeway in la on the 405 how many motherfuckers you think are going to stop and see if you're okay zero none there will not be one meanwhile in like where I grew up in like a small rural community, name your community, right? You're in like Sturgis, South Dakota or something like that. You will be accosted by so many people. It will become annoying to tell them, no, no, I'm good. I got it. Yeah. No, don't worry. Triple A is coming. So here's a concept for you. People born and grown in hardship tend to be kinder, more humble, and more selfless than people born in privilege. Sometimes. Or in, in affluent or prosperous economic times? In some sense, yeah. Um, in some sense, definitely. If they're good people. But what I do think is that what poverty, poverty does uniquely provide is a certain concoction of terrible circumstances that can bring out the worst aspects of people's personalities that they normally wouldn't have like you know when, when i was living in san diego i was living in really terrible neighborhoods right and so all of my neighbors were pimps and thieves and drug dealers and all this kind of shit 
you know? And would they be pimps, thieves, and drug dealers if they grew up in Brentwood and went to the country day school or whatever the fuck? Probably not. No, but they might be assholes. They might be assholes. Definitely might be assholes. Now, if they grew up in central Nebraska, what would they be like? Probably smoking meth. (laughs) 500 kids on welfare. I don't know, you know? So it's like, you do see the, the, I think the difference is, you know, in, in the poor communities, what, what you'll find is more danger. What you'll find in the affluent communities are people backstabbing you, right? Like, they're going to backstab you, they're going to connive you, they're going to, you know, talk shit to the principal to make sure that your kid doesn't get in, you know, private elementary school or whatever, and then in the hood, they're just going to find you in an alley, catch you slipping, and beat the fuck out of you. But that's, but you're also, I mean, that's highly contextualized to the U.S., when you, oh, go to, when you go to, you know, much more socialist countries, like the northern countries, or even like Spain or Italy, it's a different story. Yeah. Right? Like, the, the state is designed to take care of its people. Pension plans are public. There's public free healthcare. Um, taxes are taken away from your paycheck before you even smell them. So, like, things are set up in a way in which it fosters a certain level of community and equality. Right? Um, everybody's on the same boat, right? The problem with, with capitalism and, and, and I think the way that we run this country is that it fosters prosperity to the top, the top of the pyramid, but like it leaves the entire bottom part unattended and, and wishing and trying to like do whatever it takes to get to the top. And so you know, it can get tricky. And, and I, I mean, I'm going to ask you something. Project California, Los Angeles, 20 years into the future. What does that look like? Apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. Absolute. Zombie apocalypse. You're going to have... Homeless people everywhere. You're going to have white walkers falling out of skyscrapers on top of people's cars, ripping them out of the windshield. <laughs> And just, no, I really like zombies. I wish that was true, but it's not. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I do think that th- there's negative externalities no matter what system you're in, right? Well, like, yeah. like how socialism working out for Venezuela? Let me know. How's it working out in North Korea or Cuba or the USSR? Oh, wait, they're not anymore. China, right? They're all, um, you know, they're, they're all moving towards capitalism for a reason. And that's because it does bring economic prosperity. And what, what happens is when you even the playing field too much, you disincentivize people from fucking doing shit. Like when you think about Russia, right. And it's one of the bigger sort of, um, examples of a totally communist state. What product or service for that matter has Russia produced in the past 30 years that you use? Name one. No. Oh, wait. It's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. And, and that's one of the next negative externalities about that. Yeah, you may feel safe and you may be all on the even playing field, but that's where you stay. You're not moving up. And so if I can make the same amount of money being sitting on my fucking ass, not doing shit, or doing crazy med school and getting my MD and becoming a brain surgeon, but I get paid the same, well... I'm just going to fucking play PlayStation. So, so here's the, here's the, the summary I think of this is everything works in cycles. 
from chaos to stability and then slightly like degenerating into chaos so that's the the la question well, then. well think think about it this way right so i i i do not know i'm not as, as informed about this country but i can tell you about my own and how the cycles have worked in the past 50 years very simple we went from a, a you know a, a, a civil war in 1936 to a 40-year dictatorship until 1975 39-year dictatorship and this is where spain yeah so 1936 to 1975 1975 democracy gets established 40 something years later absolute chaos our political system is a fucking nightmare there's four or five parties trying to like create coalitions to get into government there's revolts and there is like you know people are angry and so you know we've gone from a 70-year cycle to a 40-year cycle what is this going to end up? I mean, it's going to end up in absolute chaos. And what's going to happen is either uh, an incredibly right-wing party is going to take over and turn into some sort of like incredibly strict democracy to bring, you know, peace or to bring order. Or we're going to swing the other way and everything's going to be- become a fucking nightmare where... You know, nobody wants to work. Everybody wants to make more money. Everyone wants, you know, wants healthcare to be paid for. And so, you know, I feel like there is this cycles across different generations and it's impossible to just be stable. I think so too. It's, it's a dichotomy, right? I mean, it's a dichotomy of, you know, absolutes of any one thing is usually not good. It's usually somewhere in the middle. It's the sweet spot you hear people talk about. And, you know, you you get people on their high horse about, oh man, well, absolute X is the best thing. Rarely is that true. I mean, very rarely. We don't even have a pure democracy in this country. It's a representative democracy, right? You vote for people to go vote on your behalf. You don't have fucking voting for the shit that Congress is voting on. You voted for some other dummy to go make that decision for you. And so, you know, it's like, it's, 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 it's a strange balance. I think that any, any one thing in its purest form is usually not the best solution to the majority of the world's problems. Hold on a second. I'm going to take one example that you're going to be able to relate to. Your people, Northern Europe. Yeah. You got three countries there. The Scandinavians. Incredible economic prosperity. You know, arguably some of the most stable democracies in Europe, that's definitely. Yeah. And economic prosperity, good health, high education. You know, who (laughs) talks about issues in Sweden's democracy? Nobody. Well, there's a couple there's a couple things about Scandinavia, right? Some some hidden variables. One is it's a very culturally and Aligned. ethnically homogenous place. Correct. Everybody's Scandinavian. The vast majority are Scandinavians that live there. The vast majority are culturally Scandinavian as well, right? Um, and so that makes for one cohesive community, right? Like in the U.S., it's not like that. You have people from every single culture all over the place with different religions and perspectives and, you know, conservatism and, and liberalism and everything in between from all over the place. And it's, tr- it's like trying to herd cats. And in Scandinavia, you're herding a bunch of Icelandic sheep. 
it's much easier. You know, everybody's um, culturally and, and, and ethnically homogenous. Um, the other lurking variable in that is that oftentimes, if you talk to somebody from, from Sweden or, or Norway, they'll say to you, well, the problem there is that if you have the perception if you do want to create that billion dollar business, right? We're talking about freedom earlier. If you do want to create something that is sort of above and beyond what the baseline good living is, you are viewed as a villain. Yeah. People do not like that. Agreed. So there's a big crabs in a bucket problem there. Whereas like, oh, you want to start catalog? You must be a fucking piece of shit, huh, Kobo? Look at this fucking guy over here just trying to do something for his life. This guy should burn him at... <laughs> You know, but but that's but that's real. Like like that that sort of society does make people feel like if you're trying to get outside that box, they want to put you back in. That's true. Yeah, I, I do feel like that somewhat in my own country. I think you know we have one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time, arguably with Zara, Amancio Am- Ortega, who's literally my neighbor, and the, you know one of the wealthiest people best sort of well-regarded leaders in industry and industrialism and this guy it's it's not appreciated in spain Mm -hmm. whatsoever (laughs) and he's the what the third richest man in the world fourth and and you know built one of the biggest companies in history and we don't seem to give a shit i think it's very sad but i think it's aligned with what you said which is you know you become different and then it's a problem. Well, here, everybody's different because everybody comes from a different place. And what here is an interesting thing, right? As, as borders and countries become less differentiated, um, I think it's just the, the interaction between cultures is going to continue to happen more and more. And the socioeconomic problems are going to get bigger and bigger and more complex. And I think you know when with countries like spain or the south of europe south of europe and and northern europe they're still highly differentiated as in they're everybody in spain 99 percent of spain is catholic right and so we we don't have issues with immigration we don't have issues with culture because everybody fucking eats hamon and bread and like (laughs) sleeps siestas right yeah but i think it's going to be super interesting when that changes over time and and how are people going to react to that well i also think it's it's definitely a factor and a function of the united states i think that you know the u.s um by virtue of the way that it was founded and it's one of the newest countries right in 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 a lot of respects at least and it's one of those places where like oh you know there was like some people some europeans that came over and came to this place um the people that were here were dying of diseases primarily in some war and uh then like whoever could just move here it's like the land of the free and the home of the brave and the statue of liberty and we take your whatever the fuck it is right um so I think that it's it's easy to wrap yourself up in the American bubble a little bit. I think that you, when you do look at other countries, they're not going to experience the level that we have here, right? And certainly not in the places outside of the large cities. You know, like if you go to, um, for instance, if you go to like to, to Stockholm in, in Sweden, you'll go there and like you'll see, you know, it's an international city. There's an international airport. People are coming through. They're visiting. It's tourism. It's all that stuff. Um, and then you go to Karlstad, and there's it's all Scandinavian. There's no 
there's nobody else. Um, similarly, in, in Spain, right? Like you go to Madrid, there's going to be, you know, people from all over the place. Um, and then you go to Vigo, not so much. This one too. Yeah. Or you go to Catalonia. <laughs> What's up with Catalonia? Spain? Not from what I understand, bro. <laughs> Las banderas de independencias, no? Jesus, dude, don't get me started on that. We get way too political. Yeah, that's true. Too much emotion into the conversation. Yeah, I guess Barcelona is not part of Spain anymore, is what that... Uh, that's what they would like. That's what they... Look, you know, they can pay us the money they owe us, and they can pay <laughs> if they want. Yeah, pay up. Yeah. You imagine? It'll only take them 30 years or so. <laughs> you know. Who's the last king of Spain? It's, uh, well, the, the... Is there a king of Spain now, or is that... There is a king of Spain. I would say the, the, the monarchy is not in his best times, but... Um, so, the, there was a king that abdicated, well, maybe like seven, eight years ago. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it was uh, Juan Carlos. And oh, then his son, his name is Felipe. And Philip, whatever you want to call it. Felipe. And he's the current king. Interesting. But uh, there's definitely no, there's no, no shortage of drama around the monarchy these days. Yeah. Um, I, I do believe, actually, it, it's, a, it's a great thing for a country. I think for us, it provides stability. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a non-political um, advocate for the country. And, yeah, I, I, I actually quite like it. You know who our uh, king and queen is, right? In the United States? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's like Justin Timberlake and Kim Kardashian. <laughs> How fucked is that? <laughs> How fucking insane is that? Yeah, it's like it's like Elvis and Whitney Houston. So here's here's a problem that I have uh, with that is there's a fundamental lack of culture and education with some of the most prominent figures in media in this country. I have a huge problem with that. It, how are you going to lead and influence people in a positive, constructive way when I tell you, you know? Do you want to go to war with North Korea? And you say yes. And it's like, okay, point to me North Korea and they go to fucking Portugal. <laughs> I'm like, come on, you know? Yeah. And so the, I, I do have a problem with that because you can lead a massive statewide conversation when you have nothing to say. Yeah. Or at least nothing to say that is formative. Yeah. So we've replaced Mr. Rogers with fucking Justin Bieber and Jake Paul. <sighs> And that's, that, that is, that worries me, dude. Yeah, it worries me too. Because you still have, at least we still have the interest and the curiosity to go and look up certain things and learn and travel and educate ourselves. But, dude, like, I don't see a lot of people doing that anymore. Well, I'm going to miss my, my episode of Desperate Housewives, Hakobo. <laughs> I like that show. I got to watch the Jersey Psychic or whatever the fuck. So why is that? Why is that? Why is it more interesting to watch Desperate Housewives than to watch Planet Earth? Why? I don't understand it. I don't understand it because to me, it isn't. So I find it yeah. very difficult to understand. I would love that's the case. to know. I would love to know. But I think it's because people are fucking stupid. Some of them. But some educated people like it too. Which is a real mind fuck. I would love to be able to say like, oh, well, everybody that watches X bullshit show, whatever. Is just dumb. That's why they watch it. But that's not true because a lot of educated people also watch dumb shit. I don't know. I probably watch a lot of dumb shit too, though. Like I'm always I'm always watching like animal attack videos. 
You know, I'm watching like so street easy. fights and subways and shit. I'm like, okay, well, if I, so if I'm in, if I'm in a sub car in New York City, right? Close quarters. <laughs> everybody's got jackets on. Absolutely. Getting collar choked. Nine times out of 10. <laughs> but, but, so I know the answer, but I just keep watching it. <laughs> just it's interesting. Yeah. What's something stupid that you watch? God, it's something I'd be willing to admit. I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I I I, 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 meme accounts. Yeah. Meme Ooh, account. meme accounts. Meme accounts Ooh, Instagram. that's a good one. I, uh, I, I, I mean, they're idiotic. Yeah. They're absolutely idiotic. But I, I, I find them. I find it entertaining. Yeah. And the thing is, entertainment. It's so much easier than learning. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it's just there. It's there. It's like, you know, you, you just <laughs> flick your fucking finger and it's right there. It's a mindless activity. Exactly. Like, if I want to learn something, I got to pay $5 a month to read Wired Magazine online. <laughs> but fucking, like, entertainment is just right there. But I go to the Fat Jewish right now. It's right now. I go to Dan Bilzerian's page and see all the ass and titties I want. Uh, exactly. For $0. Zero dollars. Put zero effort into learning anything. Doesn't cost you a dime. <laughs> and so it, we, we've just made it, we've made it easier. Again, yeah. again, you know, talk about path of least resistance. Your mind just fucking goes there, um, and 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 so I am, I am, I, I am excited though. Uh, you know, there, there's an interesting, I think, analogy here uh, when you think about Peloton, for example. You know, incredibly fast-growing company about to go public. They've somehow managed to figure it out how to take something so fucking painful as it is exercising and turn it into a game. Where you got all this, like, just fucking hundreds of thousands of people that wouldn't do jack shit. Now they buy a bike and they fucking exercise 45 minutes a day. Right. I've met 10 people that lost 30 pounds in two months. I'm like, yeah. and now how do you take that and apply that to culture and just general education? No, know how or like know things about the world that, that matter and that are meaningful. Like how to fucking point a fucking country. Right. Difference between Korea and Portugal, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you gamify that so it becomes entertainment? Yeah, gamification may be the answer to a lot of those things. I feel like that's what, you know, CrossFit did. It's sort of like a precursor to the Peloton thing. It's like, oh, well, now it's just like this thing. It's like, it's like a game, you know? It's like the CrossFit games. You, have to, you show up to the spot and everyone's doing it. It's like instead of just going into a gym and just, you know, doing curls or whatever you're doing in there. Um, and then Peloton's one step even further in that direction and that it's in your house or wherever you want it to be, essentially, wherever you can put the bike at, which is interesting. And I don't know, I think in large part, it's like, what's the top of the funnel consideration for what people should know? You know, because I think that generally speaking, education, the vast majority of it is a bunch of bullshit that we don't need to know at all. You know, even in even when you're studying like in business school, a lot of the shit you just never get taught. You don't get taught how to manage a cap table. You know, you don't get you don't. But I'm not talking about that education, though. I'm talking about the education that if I go to anyone on the street right i go we walk outside and we should run this experiment sometime i'd love to do and that. we say we ask some things like tell me a little bit about the situation in libya what about syria what about what happened in yemen what about the 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 fucking refugees you know 
invading Bangladesh? What about the Rohingya? What about like all this basic like the like modern issues, right? Like I just you know what about genocides that happen in Central Africa? But they don't like there's no you know there's 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 a drought in Cape Town where in December of 2019 Cape Town is out of water, day zero, right? Do you walk outside? Does the average person know that? So at least they have empathy and familiarity with issues that are happening outside of their fucking neighborhood. No, they don't know that. That's what I talk about education and culture. Like those are things you need to know. Right? You can't just focus on your local bullshit. Mm. Right? You need to understand if you, if you want to be a well-rounded individual that like speaks to ten million fucking subscribers on YouTube. <laughs> like you need to know those things. Well, the weirdest thing about that to me is that I actually <clears throat> my perspective on it is actually the inverse. I think people are too consumed with national news, international news. They don't Wait, even, with national or international. Primarily national and even international over what's happening on their own block. For instance, in Los Angeles, on, call it a five block radius where you live. You live in West Hollywood, Hollywood area. Within a five to 10 block radius of your house, how many homicides has there been in the last, I don't know, since January? I'm sure many. How many? I have no idea. No fucking clue, right? I am guilty of this. Guilty is charged knowing more shit about national and international affairs than local affairs. And I was watching the Santa Monica News for some reason, and, and some homeless dude fucking murdered, like this, this dude that was deported, and he's like, a, I was from El Salvador or somewhere, and he snuck back in, and then he murdered like 10 people with an axe. Like fucking quarter mile from my office. I asked every single person in my office, not one of them knew about it, but they know that the Mueller report, you know? Yeah, but I'm going to challenge you on that because what I'm talking about is not, it's not having incredible depth across any of those things or, or, or disciplines. What I'm talking about is a general understanding of how the world works. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that, that, you know, like, what was Aberhide? Like, do you know the evolution of, of, of how it worked and what happened and who the main figures were? And like, can you explain to me why society is the way it is today and how it came to be? Can you backdrop 30 or 40 years to at least have some sort of fucking memory? Because let me tell you something. When I was 16 years old, I was taken to Auschwitz, the concentration camp in Poland, Southern Poland. I walked through the, 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 the sort of the, 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 the prison homes that where they held people right and people were bawling people were crying and like and i walked in there and my fucking like like my skin just 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 tightened up and like i felt this thing where i was like holy fucking shit i never really knew what this was the holocaust was until i walked into this place and and then you have extreme movements of young people today that have no fucking clue about what happened less than 60 years ago, 70 years ago, right? And so when, when memories are so short and there's no understanding of, you know, what, how the world works, then these people will develop mental models that are just in a vacuum, that have no idea of what happens 
10,000 miles away and have no idea what happened just a few decades ago. So how are they supposed to build a better world into the future if they have no fucking clue of what the world looked like only a generation ago? Yeah. History will repeat itself in very ugly ways if you don't understand it. At least a version of it, right? I mean, that's how you get Antifa. You know what I mean? That, I don't know what Antifa is. Antifa is the anti-fascist. It's, it's anti-fascist, yeah, yeah. super far left-wing people that put black face masks on and they just basically jump people with bats and shit. Some real pussy shit, you know? Um, and they're just trying to control people's thoughts, basically. And, you know, w- what that looks like is the fucking USSR s- thugs, you know, in like the 1960s and 70s. You know, in East Germany and shit. Like, that's what that is. That's literally fucking exactly what that is. It's crazy. But if you ask them, they probably wouldn't know. They have no idea. No idea, because it's new to them. So this is, Brand what new. this is what I'm talking about. So maybe I should have framed it around no, the, I, I the, totally the history, but it's, yeah, yeah. but it's a fundamental understanding of how the world works today, how the world worked a few decades ago, yeah. and what the evolution has been, right? And fuck, like people say, oh, we're so hopeful about the younger generations and you know, the future and like, they're going to like, you know, fix the pollution problem and the, and the plastics problem. And the, I'm like, hey. I'm like, what, what hope? What? On, uh, on what? <laughs> <laughs> well, they can't even tell the difference between fucking, like, what's recyclable and what's not. Like, seriously. Yeah. Like, there's some basic things that, you know, you fucking get a, a plastic bottle, and you look at the little symbol, and the little symbol tells you exactly what fucking bin you put the <laughs> bottle on, you know? Yeah. Like, and so, there are things like that that, are, to me, are so fundamental that we've completely lost interest on because you know commenting on the on the state of cultural bullshit what happens with the kardashians has become more entertaining it's true and it gets all the media attention too and so how do we change that i want to change that i want to help change that i think the problem with you bro is that you're a fucking roundy round earther we all know that we all know the earth is flat Okay, and you're covering up the evidence. <laughs> there, was a, there was a tweet from the Flat Earth Society. Space is fake. <laughs> and you and your bullshit CG. <laughs> there was a tweet from the Flat Earth Society that said that mentioned something about the globe. <laughs> like, doesn't that fucking fundamentally contradict what you're saying? Dude, you're a globe. You're a globist. <laughs> you're, a globist. you're a fucking globe trotter, bro. And you so- fucking globe trotting all over. But that's all jokes aside like that's kind of a lot of the problem like you want to talk about you know what happened in history so we don't repeat it meanwhile there are people that think the earth is flat you ever heard of magellan they're like yeah sure did he was a fucking bullshit artist because they just you know they can just make up they, they fell, can they make fell off shit the other up. side yeah <laughs> Yeah, they're all dead. <laughs> they're all dead. Because <laughs> they fell off. All flat earth believers are dead because they accidentally fell off. <laughs> <laughs> Just like. Yeah, man. That I, is true. I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I do ask myself this question often. To be complete, I feel guilt because here I am, or here we are, building our companies and, and building a life and doing all these different things. And then there's this fucking, to me, it's like, like a cancer. It's a fucking cancer in society where people just know less and less every time and have less of a historical perspective, even though it's easier to access the information. Right. You don't have to go to a fucking library. Like, seriously. That's ironic, isn't it? 
it blows my mind. And if so all the information at the tip of your finger. Right there. But I think maybe the problem is you also have all the disinformation too. Yeah. That's not an excuse though. It's because the earth is flat, bro, and you know it. <laughs> I'm gonna get some hate mail for sure from all the flat earthers out there. There can't be that many of them, right? Can't be that many. Oh, well, you can always push them off. That's true. The edge. Dude, like, <laughs> On the ledge. You're like, like, bro, no, I'm totally into it. Just show me where the ledge is at. And then you just get there and you Hadouken! And you just fucking give them that Spartan kick straight off the fucking ledge. The kick them into orbit. Yeah, kick them into orbit. <laughs> I wish I could go into orbit. That'd be fucking awesome. You know what I wanted to do, and and I can say this because my dad doesn't actually speak English. So I actually for for his one of his upcoming birthdays, I want to get him one of those zero gravity flights. Mm. You know, I'm just manning up to the idea of spending nine grand. But uh, but uh, I, w- I wanted to do it for his sixtieth birthday, and then uh, unfortunately, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't able to. <laughs> I became a startup founder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, startup founder aka living in ramen broke yeah. <laughs> a lot of nissen exactly a lot of top ramen in my c- <laughs> don't don't finish that sentence <laughs> so, how dare you i've been wanting to do that for a while um have you ever done those what are those called those like fans the fan tubes that that you put on the floor and you can jump on it and i've seen it been done but i haven't done it myself done it. no i mean i'm intrigued to do that it seems Zero, zero gravity sounds pretty fun. Well, zero gravity would get be all, dope. You know, imagine we could get all of our buddies into one of those planes and then just fucking mess around. And then just zero gravity float. Yeah, we'll just barf on each other. One of the two, or probably both. <laughs> exactly. So barf would also be uh, weightless, so it would just float. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is so fucking disgusting. disgusting. <laughs> hey, so so here's a question: What is it? What is a, an experience you want to have? That you've been thinking about for a while. Experience that I want to have. Ooh. That you haven't had. Experience that I want to have that I haven't had. You know? I don't know, man. A place you want to go. place I want to go? I want to go everywhere. Everywhere. Well, that's a place. You know, I want to go... This is where I want to go. I want to go up to Alaska. Mm -hmm. Or northern Alberta, Canada. And... And go hunt with a bow and arrow with a sidearm just in case the grizzly comes and fucking <gasps> and just fucking murders me and whoever I'm with. And you're just shitting with a little bow and arrow. <laughs> Don't want that. Sounds a little like a cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> but I would like to get a cabin off the grid, mm-hmm. way away from everybody. I just want to live off the land for like a month. Um, and then, you know, whether somebody wants to come with me or not, could be alone, could have friends come, doesn't even matter, and then fucking just roam in the ice forest and trap beavers and eat them and wear their pelts. <laughs> That's so exciting. <laughs> Catch some fucking salmon, bro. I'll come up for a weekend. It'd be so fun. Eat some caribou ribs. Get them out. Cool, not a lot of plants you can eat up there. That's true. That's a... Uh... God, that's actually sounds like a, such a fun plan. Yeah, there's this there's this documentary called Hymo from Vice. It's one of the oldest documentaries that they've done way before they became massive. 
and man, it's, it's so fucking crazy about this dude. And he went up there, he went up to the Arctic circle in Alaska, like at the very top, it's in, you know, whatever the national park mm-hmm. is up there. So you can't build anymore, <clears throat> but he's grandfathered in cause he moved there in like the sixties or seventies or something like that. And the dude grew up in Wisconsin. He's like, fuck this. I'm just going off the grid. So he moved up there and he just has two or three cabins that are stocked with whatever the fuck. He just lives off the land completely off the land middle of fucking nowhere no cell phone reception none of that shit and he just hunts traps beavers fucking hunts whatever you know caribou fish is up there um got himself an eskimo or an inuit wife and then they both live up there had a daughter drown in the fucking river bro as a child because like they all like it's like a really old school like nomadic living situation where everybody's gotta like you know get your stuff and go down to fucking ford the river to get where we got to go in the winter yeah and dude it was it's like one of the craziest like coolest documentaries that you'll ever watch i'd love to watch that yeah see that i would watch yeah hi mo hi mo hi mo that'd be cool yeah god that'd be terrifying though no way. Not for you, but <laughs> for the rest of us humans. Yeah, I get that. That's yeah. kind of sound scary. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about going holy to like Costa Rica. So I'll yeah. think about it, I guess. Uh, I guess. What about Tulum? I guess I'll come up with a better story now. <laughs> Let me think. Let me go, give me a few seconds. What about Paris? Paris. Seems safer there. <laughs> so one of the things that uh, my dad and I travel every year, as you know, uh, well, not mostly by motorcycle, but, but one of the trips that we've wanted to do for a while is actually we're both captains as it took now to, um, we wanted to rent a sailboat in the Philippines and sail across the islands for about three weeks. Um, and we started planning it a couple of years ago. And, you know, we started talking to a bunch of local people. One of the issues that we have down there is pirates. Uh, yeah. A hell of a lot of pirates. Uh, yeah. And, and so we're like, okay, well, is there an area or a region where it's actually safer? And they said, yes, but there's this, there's this one place and one in Mindoro. We have to go and basically buy weapons. <laughs> and what you need to do is you got to go and rent your sailboat, go get yourself a couple of rifles. And when you start seeing boats going around you, which will happen, you shoot a couple of times in the sky and they'll go away. Dude, I'll be the fucking rifleman for sure. And I was like, well, let me think about that. I'm not a captain, but I know how to shoot a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just shoot their fucking boat, bro. Retrofit the sailboat with the... Dude, I was fucking... Bop, bop, bop. Enjoy sinking to the bottom of the ocean, you fuck. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Well, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, that, 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 that's a fun trip. That sounds that's- super exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to build up the courage. Bro, look... Take a couple dudes that can shoot a gun, okay? <laughs> you and your pops, it. captain the boats. <laughs> couple of grenades. <laughs> couple of, yeah, I know. I don't know if they blow dozen, up underwater. Couple but of dozen grenades. Better have a good throwing arm. <laughs> Gonna have to be pretty accurate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's fucking crazy, We're dude. Fishing for some pirates. Pirates. Oh my god. That's crazy, huh? Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, there's a lot of stories, uh, reports of uh, of uh, tourists and tourist boats getting kidnapped and showing up you know 50 dead and like you know, two weeks later Dude. it's pretty crazy so um i'm trying to rethink that the other the other thing that i that, that we thought about too is buying an uh an old mercedes 190 sl the diesel ones 
like a 1970 no it was like those are 1980s 1980s and they look exactly the same as the 1970s um the ones that all the gypsies have in spain and and actually uh driving it from uh, algier and northern northern africa all the way south through morocco mauritania like all over the coast oh yeah that sounds way safer Are you fucking insane? I actually, no, this is a legit thing that people do. They'll buy the car out there, they'll drive it down, and they'll abandon it, basically, at the end of the trip. There's like, it costs you like 800 bucks to buy the car. I thought about doing that to go all the way from here to Brazil in a van and do the same exact shit. That's actually shit. not bad. That's yeah. actually safer. Uh, uh, well, that depends what route you take. Yeah. But the Pan American Highway... Uh, you know, up until you get to possibly Colombia. No. Dude, Sinaloa? Uh, get yourself some of that cartel no, action. I don't think so. No? Uh, you know, I remember Ari's dad used to tell me all the stories about him, you know, driving up and down and taking buses and stuff. And apparently it's not that, it's not that unsafe. It's not that, I mean, nowadays, I don't know back in the day what it was, but, but yeah. nowadays it's not too bad. Well, I mean, um, Tijuana is now back in the world's most dangerous city on the planet in terms of homicides. Are you serious? Yeah. That's how you told me it was fairly okay when you I go there all the time or have gone there a million times. Never felt danger once in my life. I also speak Spanish, so that helps a lot. And I'm also not doing a bunch of sketchy ass shit because that's really where you get in trouble. But it's primarily cartel on cartel violence or people in the drug trade. But the bodies, it's a pretty significant they number. They show up. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, they just, I think it was um, maybe a month ago, there was like five heads hanging from one of the main bridges in TJ. Jesus Christ. A rival cartel or whatever. So here's here's another interesting question for you. Immigration. Mm. Touchy subject. Yeah, I'm going to have to save that for the next podcast. <laughs> pencil that one in. We're going to pencil that one in, dude. <laughs> <laughs> We've already gone almost two hours, bro. Are you serious? Yeah. God, flew we, by, huh? We can bullshit. We can bull. We can bullshit for not way longer than this. Jeez, <laughs> we're boring. <laughs> well, uh, now now comes the time where um, uh, people can check out catalog at catalog dot cc um, or at catalog official at catalog official. See all them pretty pictures on the gram. That's true. Anything Very else beautiful. you want to plug, brother? Just. Just read and learn and be curious, please. One of the, I'll say one more thing. You know, there's this great thing that the Tim Ferriss asks in his podcast and he asks people, if there's one thing you could put on a billboard, you know, somewhere busy where everybody could see, what would you put? And the one thing that I would put is just think. Just fucking think. Use the brain of yours. Whenever you're about to make a stupid-ass decision, just think. That's great. Think, bitches. We're out. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you to uh, Kobo. That was a fun one. Also, thank you to Bar Nana. Head over to barnana.com, B-A-R-N-A-N-A.com. Use code N-I-K and get 20% off of your order. And until next time, I will chat at you then. Peace.